Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you better briefed. I'm Derek Healy, the Curious Political Editor, and today I'm joined by political reporters Rachel Amory and Justin Berry. Now, it feels at the moment like every episode we do is a special episode, but hot off the heels of the resignation of Nicola Sturgeon, we have the Scottish Labour Conference in Edinburgh this weekend. I could hardly come at a more interesting time. Now, I want to get straight into it because I know these are some of the big questions party members and the public alike will have ahead of this weekend. Justin, we touched on this a little bit for our emergency broadcast when Nicola Sturgeon resigned as First Minister. But this now suddenly feels like a huge conference for Labour. They're in the ascendancy at Westminster. There's no obvious successor for Nicola Sturgeon at the moment. Surely it has to be now or never for Anna Sarwar to make up some of that ground in the SNP. So is the pressure all on him this weekend? I would say so, definitely. He very much wants to be the next First Minister. I suppose that's the entire point of him being Scottish Labour leader. And he has, in many ways, been quite a strong opposition leader in Holyrood. He has clawed back a bit of ground in the polls. If we were to hold an election tomorrow, Scottish Labour would likely finish second ahead of the Conservatives. But that right there is his problem as well. He hasn't necessarily caught up with the SNP at all yet. And I suppose this is a good chance for him this week to emphasise that Labour are doing well at Westminster. They look like they are going to be the government down there. We also want voters to trust us up here as well. At the same time, though, there is obviously a risk that the news this week um, of Nicola Sturgeon's resignation sort of might overshadow anything that Anna Sauer wants to say and any points he wants to get across. Rachel, what do you think? Are you expecting to see a sort of real swagger from Labour at conference or do you think it's all a bit more difficult than that? I think there certainly will be. And we know Keir Starmer is coming to the conference. So I think particularly when he comes in, we will see a bit more of that kind of atmosphere. But I think uh, Scottish Labour in particular would they would be missing a trick if they didn't use this resignation of Nicola Sturgeon to to build on their popularity, um, especially in some of the areas that have traditionally been Labour and have maybe lost votes to the SNP over the years. I'm thinking areas in Fife and Dundee and places like that. Um, so definitely he needs to take the opportunity to do that if he wants to build the party in Scotland. Do you know, I was thinking back to when Anna Sarwar became Scottish Labour leader. He spoke about the need to win back the trust of, of the people of Scotland and said that people hadn't had the Labour Party they deserved. That was his kind of key message when he came in. We are now just shy of two years of him as leader. So, Rachel, if you had to put a figure or a percentage on to what extent he has won back that trust so far, where would you place that? Oh, it's difficult to put a number on it, isn't it? He has chosen a few particular issues to really, really focus on. Um, I think the one that comes to mind would be the NHS. He is constantly um, bringing that up in the chamber at the Scottish Parliament. And the Labour Party are constantly wanting to bring that forth to the agenda of the news. Um, so I think perhaps in the past we've been like, oh, what, what do Labour stand for? What is it they what is it they're wanting to support us in? Why why are they a good voice? Things like that, you now can say, well, actually, yes, they, they, they do want to talk about the NHS. That's their big thing at the moment. So that has certainly helped in the past few years. As to a certain number, though, like how, how would you put a number on something like that? <laughs> what, do, what do you think? What, what number would you put, do you think? I'm going to ask Justin first, and <laughs> I'll give you my number. I don't, want, I don't want to be the first one to have to give up a number. So, Justin, first of all, what, what, would, what do you think of that? And also, 
Is it fair for us to be grading him at this stage um, in that kind of way? I mean, two years on, is this a fair point? Or, you know, Nicola Sturgeon's going to go, there's going to be a new leader coming in. Is this really where he comes into his moment? I think it's definitely fair. He's been in the job for two years now. He has been there for a Holyrood election. Obviously, he was very, very new at that stage, but he still presided over that election. He's been there for a local election. In terms of winning back trust, it's, it's quite hard to say. I mean... Could you say 50% in terms of half and half? He has definitely won back some trust that was lost, perhaps among unionist voters, for example. He's gone quite strongly on his pro-union credentials and taking the fight to the SNP on independence. But there will also be some on the left of the party who are you know, fans of Jeremy Corbyn's leadership who might not see that much substance behind him, who, who may kind of feel like he's a good speaker, he's good at taking the fight to the SNP, but does he necessarily have a strong, well-articulated platform that is really going to transform Scotland beyond what we're seeing at the moment. But yeah, I, th I think it's definitely absolutely fair to be judging him at this stage. He's been in the role for two years, and I think what he maybe has done well is restored a sense of competence and relevance to Labour. I, I suppose beforehand, a lot of people didn't only not know what Scottish Labour stood for, but just didn't really think about them at all anymore. I think that Anna Sauer at least is a, a recognisable name, and he's done well at sort of getting himself into the public eye in that sense. Yeah, I actually purposely asked that question in that way because I think it's extremely subjective depending on, you know, where people stand and a whole range of issues and where, where, they, where their support was in terms of Labour and, and what part of Labour, you know, how left-wing or what they're kind of signed up to. Um, I think it definitely does depend on where you stand in those things. Um, but it's very interesting because I think in a lot of ways he's done, he's done a good job in terms of um, raising his profile as well, which is one of the things... I was going to ask you both about. I mean, I was having a think back to when the Labour conference came to Dundee a few years ago and Richard Leonard was still the leader at that point. Some of our colleagues at The Courier went out with a picture of Richard Leonard and asked people, do you know who this is? And for those who saw that video, I can assure you it wasn't some editing trick or some game that we played. People legitimately struggled to place who he was. And... One of the interesting things about people not being sure who should replace Nicola Sturgeon is that we could possibly end up with a situation where it's someone who has, or someone who is less familiar um, to the public than Anna Sarwar is. Justin, do you think he's done enough to raise his profile? I would say so. I think he has strongly emphasised his background. He was, of course, one of Scotland's kind of earliest Muslim MSPs. And he has often spoken about his background, what it means to him, spoken about the prejudice that's been directed against him. And I, I suppose there's often been a lighter touch to him as well. You think of him campaigning, dancing in the street with people. So there's a lighter touch there where he perhaps understands that politicians can't always just be po-faced and serious. They need to be able to engage with the public in this day and age. They need to be able to generate um, headlines on social media. He's also, especially in the past year, worked closely to try and build up a rapport with Keir Starmer. That's useful now because if Keir Starmer does become the Prime Minister, he's going to want to be seen as a close ally to someone who is essentially in charge of the UK. So I would say that whatever you think of Anna Sarver's policies, some people may disagree with them, some people may not feel that he has that many, he definitely has managed to raise his profile. Whether it's enough outside the political circles that we inhabit, that's another question. What do you think he's fallen down? So I, I was interested to listen to some of the debates about council budgets and I think that there was um Labour had, had raised this point repeatedly about, you know, 
counters are really, really struggling, which I think is a very fair point to raise. And uh, Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP, I've, I've seen this now in a number of press releases and a number of different comments. It's obviously a sort of an attack or a rebuttal line that they've chosen, um, which is to come back and say, well, wait a minute, if you're saying there needs to be more money for councils, you need to set out where the money's coming from. Now, he's been very clear that his ambition is to be First Minister, so those are the kind of questions he needs to answer. Um, what about yourself, Rachel? I mean, where do you think his um, kind of strengths and weaknesses have been on that? Um, looking at NSR, I think some of his strengths are, for example, when you see him debating in the chamber on these sort of issues, I think he's very good at that sort of thing. But perhaps, like you're saying, the, the, the profile isn't enough. Perhaps he doesn't need to be more sort of assertive when it comes to, like, I will be the next First Minister. We think of Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer is very much acting like he will be the next Prime Minister. I'm not sure we're really seeing the same from Anna Sarwar up here. So if you were to ask your friends and family about him, do you think they would know who you're talking about? I think they would probably know the name as to whether they would maybe know the image or or what his position is in, in the chamber and in the party. I wouldn't be too sure, actually. It's always difficult for us because obviously with us working in politics, we sometimes forget how other people who are not in politics perhaps see politicians. So I think maybe the name, but I'm not sure beyond that. I'm not sure. Well, it's interesting. Um, Justin has been out speaking to some members of the public today in Edinburgh to gauge their thoughts on what the future could hold for Labour in Scotland. Um, so let's have a listen to what they had to say. So, first of all, what's your name? Name is Graham Douglas. What's your age? I am 67. And whereabouts are you from? I'm from Montrose and Angus. Sarah Guthrie. Uh, I'm from Dunedin in Argyll and Butte, and I'm <laughs> 67. Okay, Neil Arnott, um, age 57, from Edinburgh. Ian Douglas Doby, uh, age 80, and I'm from Edinburgh. Paul, I'm 55, and I'm from Dunfermline. Marie McCallum, 64, from Edinburgh. Joe Patrizio, I'm 88, and I come from Edinburgh. So what do you think of Labour's chances in Scotland going forward? I, I don't think there's going to be any difference uh, with regard to an increase or a decrease in support, uh, especially even based on the fact that Nicola Sturgeon resigned uh, yesterday. Uh, I think it will remain consistent with the hardcore Labour, Labour supporters. Well, I'd like to think that this is now an opportunity for the, the party to go forward and take this chance and maybe try and steal some of the SNP votes back to Labour. The political situation just now, I think Labour will probably have a bit of an upswing the next election. I think they'll probably get more voters because I think poor people will vote more tactically. I think they'll probably not vote for Conservatives, which they normally would do, and vote for Labour, I think, to get the SNP out of office, I think. I think they're suffering from a lack of leadership, really, lately but you know I've always been a Labour voter but personally as a lifelong Labour voter I wouldn't vote for them just now because I'm not actually sure what they stand for they don't seem very um, public they're not very visible they're not very um, clear about what their message is they should be able to stand up very easily against the current um, Scottish leadership because they're not making a very good job of it and if they can't stand up against them uh, just now then um, I would call into question who they could stand up against. So uh, they just seem a bit directionless, to be honest. 
I think it's got a long way to go for to get like to get the people's trust again because I just think after like when it was the last referendum I think that's they lost so many people of Scotland's Scotland's trust and I think like SNP and old Nicola's going but I think like they're still the strongest party at the moment in Scotland. They will get a few votes from SNP now that uh, Nicola's gone. Does Nicola Sturgeon's resignation open the door up for Labour to do better? Yes, definitely. I think um, I think there's no st strong, obvious strong SNP politicians to kind of take over from her. Um, I think it will take a big hit. I think possibly going forward, but not right at this moment in time. I think it will help Labour. Um, possibly not to any great extent, but uh, I, I do think they will pick up some votes. I think for Labour, as I say, I think this is an opportunity for them um, because within the SNP, having read things between yesterday and today, I think there's quite a lot of backbiting going on and there's going to be... So it's definitely going to set SNP back and maybe people start thinking again about, yeah, maybe we should be voting Labour. Depends who takes over because I think Nicola Sturgeon has handled things really badly over the last number of months and possibly a couple of years. Um, early pandemic, she almost had me on board with her, but totally lost me recently. Um, she's called it wrong. I think she's left because the SNP needs to change tack um, and they can't change tack while she's in uh, in charge. They would just have to do such a major U-turn. Um, if somebody takes on from her and follows the same path, I think Labour should move into that space because there's plenty of space for them to move into. If somebody takes over and starts reading the nation a bit better, then Labour are going to be in the same position they are just now. It really just depends on who takes over after um, Sturgeon leaves. Well, a really interesting mix of thoughts there um, from the sounds of it. Quite interesting to hear from people in Edinburgh, which is obviously going to be the base of the conference this weekend, but also it is the home of the only Labour MP in Scotland. So a very interesting place to gauge some views. I was quite intrigued there by the Labour um, supporter who said he, he doesn't vote for Labour now because he doesn't know who they, uh, doesn't know what they stand for. Justin, what was your kind of take? I mean, from, from being there yourself, was it that real mix of views you were picking up? I think to a degree. I mean, what's interesting is you would speak to a lot of people, only some people maybe wanted to even go on the record and you, you do still get a sense that there is a lot of people that just aren't interested whether it be they're not interested in politics or they are not particularly interested in the Labour Party there is definitely a degree of ambivalence there and for as much as we've said that Anna Sauer has perhaps raised in profile in some ways we do hear there as well somebody who's a, a lifelong Labour supporter we hear that classic story from the post-referendum era where they say I don't know what Labour stands for I don't support them anymore. They haven't necessarily won me back. So when we talk about that winning back trust, that's where Labour perhaps still have a lot to do. And that's maybe where it's reflected in the polls where they have improved. There was definitely a kind of sense of positive forward momentum, but it's not necessarily reached a point yet where we can look at Labour and think that's the party that once dominated the majority of Scotland. It's interesting that a lot of the kind of talking points that were being raised by members of the public there are the same questions and conversations we've just been having on this podcast as well. You know, these are obviously the questions people do still have about the Labour Party and, and, and where it's going. Rachel, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you're going to be at the conference with us this weekend. What are the kind of big talking points? What are the big things people should be looking out for this weekend? 
Yeah, so it's a three-day conference, so plenty of things happening this weekend. And we are obviously getting um, speeches as well from Anna Sarwar and from Keir Starmer. I think uh, they've been talking a lot about the NHS recently, so that will definitely be featuring very heavily. I think education is one that um, we, we've had uh, Michael Mara, MSP, for example, on this podcast before talking about these issues. I think education will play a, a large part of the discussions, particularly around um, teacher strikes as well. And um, we know that that's still an ongoing um, topic of discussion. So I'm sure that will come up as well. Of course, um, Labour has in, been quite um, vocal in support of the strikes in the past few weeks. So I'm sure we'll hear more about that. Justin, what about you? Are there, are there particular things you're looking out for? Well, it's almost in a kind of similar vein to the teacher strikes. I think there will be a lot of talk about local government this week. Obviously, these strikes, such as the teacher strikes, kind of relate to local governments. And we have seen major real terms funding cuts to local governments from the SNP in recent years. That then also sort of ties in with the recent report on devolution from Gordon Brown. Labour are wanting to be seen as the sort of party of devolution. You know, that, that's what they want to be, their alternative to independence. We've seen suggestions such as sort of regional style mayors being implemented, perhaps greater powers for local councils as well. And I think that's ground where Labour want to make up. The issue there, however, I think is that, you know, whenever Labour bring up strikes and when they bring up cuts to local government and parliament, the SNP will say, well, if you want local government to get more money, where does it come from? The SNP are having to make cuts at national level as well. So sometimes an area where Labour to some of their former voters who perhaps haven't been won back yet, end up still being seen as more of a kind of angry opposition versus a sort of government in waiting that is ready and there with a solution to take over. But yeah, I would expect a lot of chat about local government. And on top of that, I imagine that they're going to, especially after the resignation of Nicola Sturgeon, they're going to want to try and portray the SNP and the Conservatives down south as two sides of the same coin, a bit as two tired, kind of worn out governments who've been in power for too long, Governments are focused on nationalism, whereas Labour want to be seen as this party of renewal that can sort of bring together the whole of the United Kingdom. So both of you have touched on this a little bit throughout this kind of podcast. Um, we know that Sir Keir Starmer is going to be delivering a speech at the conference. And um, that's obviously of interest because if you believe polling, it looks as if um, he is right on track to be Prime Minister. Um, so I always find the relationship between leaders at Holyrood and leaders at Westminster are really interesting, doubly so when one of them could be about to become Prime Minister. So I covered an event in Glasgow during the last election where um, both Anna Sarwar and Keir Starmer were there. They had a kickabout with a football. They looked very comfortable in each other's company. You know, obviously, maybe that's all for show, but there, there does seem to be quite a solid relationship there. But there are definitely differences between the UK party and Scottish Labour. We saw it to some extent with the gender recognition bill, and we have definitely seen it when it comes to drug policy. There is a very real prospect that we could have a Labour government at Westminster standing in the way of Labour MSPs and their efforts to bring safe consumption to Scotland and other drug policy reforms. Justin, do you think those kind of divisions are going to be an issue at all at this conference? Or is it going to be a case of, you know, everyone with a red rosette is just going to be basking in the glow of a, a post-Nicola Sturgeon political world? At this conference, no. I think we found that last year where there was a strong sense of unity between Scottish Labour and UK Labour. They want to very much be seen as one again. 
Keir Starmer wants to be very much seen as a figurehead who can be liked and beloved by Scottish Labour voters and indeed the Scottish public as a whole as well. But the, the thing is, both the, both of these parties are in opposition at the moment. They currently don't have any real power. Once these parties are in power, that's when it becomes more difficult. We've seen those fractures come up between, for example, Douglas Ross and Boris Johnson before. I can't imagine an extreme where Anna Sauer is demanding Sir Keir Starmer to stand down as Prime Minister, but say, for example, there is a scandal with a Labour cabinet minister at Westminster. How does Anna Sauer respond? That's an issue that's faced Douglas Ross here. Right now, it's not really something that's affected Anna Sauer to the same degree. And sometimes I don't think disagreement is a bad thing. If Scottish Labour want to be seen as this independent party that's not completely tied to UK Labour, I think those areas where those parties can disagree. The problem is when it comes to policy down the line is how do they handle those disagreements and how do they manage them? I think there's almost a sort of honeymoon period at the moment where here Starmer's been in for around three years. He's seen an upswing in the polls. He looks like he's going to win. And I saw her not quite the same level of an upswing, but has also seen an upswing. But no party permanently gains in the polls. There's always going to be a downturn. There's always going to be problems. And I think when those problems come around, their personal relationship and their political relationship may be strong. But even within those party ranks, you may start to see some fractures, as is sort of inevitable, I think. Yeah, so at the last um, Scottish Labour conference in Glasgow, there were a lot of UK party figures there, and it did seem to be quite natural, and there was a kind of intermingling of them without um, any kind of awkwardness. But Rachel, do you think we're going to see maybe trouble coming down the tracks there? It's difficult to see at this point, like you said, because they're both in opposition. I suppose if you were down in Westminster, Scottish Labour doesn't have a big presence there because, as you said, there is only one Scottish Labour MP. So it is going to have to come to the party at Holyrood to make those relationships with the party at Westminster because that's not going to happen naturally in the House of Commons. So that is what they're going to have to work at. I think this weekend, though, we are going to see images of... um, Anna Sarwar and Keir Starmer on stage together, probably embracing big smiles for the camera together. We are definitely going to see some of that stuff this weekend. Yeah, we're all going to be there and bringing you the latest twists and turns um, along with some of our colleagues. But I think for now, that is probably just about all we have time for. Thank you to Rachel and Justin, our producer, Marvin McIntyre, and of course, you for listening at home. We will be back next week with another Stushy, but until then, and even after then, log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, and all of our news brands, so that you can be better briefed. The Stushy is the politics podcast from DC Thompson, designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, Westminster, and our communities, so that you can be better briefed. Don't miss an episode by following The Stushy today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you know folks like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune in or follow Stushy Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And stay even more up to date on local and Scottish news by subscribing to The Courier or Press and Journal, where you can get one month of unlimited access for just £1. Check the episode notes for details and terms.